The Grind. Hello again and welcome to your final episode of The Grind this year. Alex and I are joining you again and this year we're going to run through some reflections, uh, how Alex went, what Alex is up to. We're going to talk about the Aussie Pro Tour that's been humming along and continues as we speak. We're going to talk wild cards, which is the only element of discretion in tennis's meritocracy. And then we're also going to talk about maybe some players to watch in the future. But to kick it off, uh, Alex, how are you going? Where are you? Hey, Roddy. I'm doing really well, thanks. I'm finally back home in Australia, which is amazing. Back home in Sydney. It feels really, really good to be home, seeing family and friends and just being in my own bed. Nothing better. Yeah, welcome home. Uh, long journey. Uh, Europe, wait, States, Europe, North America. Now back home. Yeah. How were your final few weeks abroad? You had a big reunion with a, a lot of familiar faces. Yeah. Uh, so when I got back from Europe, I had three weeks off in Phoenix. Just really needed to decompress and take some time and rest the body and mind. And did some pre like little, you know, two two weeks of training there too. And then went and played a few tournaments around North America, which was great. And um, towards the end of that, yeah, we had a reunion at ASU, Arizona State, where I went to school. Our coach is about to start her 40th season as head coach at ASU, which is the longest reigning head coach in college tennis and really probably most college sports as well. Uh, She's incredible. So we had nearly 50 alumni at the weekend, which is really impressive turnout considering tennis teams are so small. So it started on the Friday, welcome drink, Saturday, uh, kind of watched the girls practice, the current team team uh team and then we had a scavenger hunt around campus which was fun just especially for i think a lot of the older alumni to get to see the campus because it's changed so much in the five years since i've graduated so great time got to meet some players that i'd heard a lot of and just never met so really really fun weekend before that you went to canada and you ran into a few aussies as well i believe and then following that you've, you've obviously come home tell us about i suppose your season coming to an end or at least your season returning to the southern hemisphere yeah so right before the um alumni weekend that was in calgary and that was so much fun i was so unexpected that so many aussies would be there i had no idea all those guys were going to be there so it was really fun i'm really good friends with lee too and his wife kim who i uh, set up funnily enough so uh, it was just so fun to hang out with them and Kim and I went on a day trip up to Banff and Lake Louise which was a gorgeous way to end the year just being able to do something fun and day trips in different places like that are just gorgeous because you're sometimes just so cooped up in the hotel room or at the court so being able to just go and see such a beautiful place and part of the world was was a great way to finish my kind of North America swing and obviously then finished in Arizona, saw my best friend and flew home on Friday. So been home a few days, uh, adjusting with the time zone, definitely a bit jet lagged and kind of sick as you can maybe hear. But uh, yeah, it's been a good end to the year and it's nice to finally be home. Yeah, I saw you uh, trying to roll around uh, Lake Louise, I think it was, with Reeboks on, which at this time of year is a pretty bold move, I reckon. Yeah, it was really slippery and icy, and I can't say that was the correct shoe choice. I was also wearing ripped jeans, so my legs were just numb, and I had short socks on, and I was not prepared for negative temperatures in the snow, but it was gorgeous, so it was fine. (laughs) Every mother just clutched their pearls. So the Brisbane ITF event's on at the moment. Are you going to play Gold Coast week after this one? Undecided. I will try and find a partner if, if I can get someone last minute. 
coming home was last minute for me. I was going to actually be playing in Mexico or South America for the WTAs. And I just felt that it was time to come home. I just booked a ticket day before flying and got on it. And uh, here we are. But uh, yeah, so my schedule definitely changed really last minute, which was interesting. So we'll see. I'm decided yet about next week. If something comes across my lap, then I'll, I'll take it and fly up. But at this stage, just kind of going with the flow and seeing how I guess this week goes for the players. Yeah, some rest won't kill you either, I reckon. Talking about your year, long one, as we've just said, you've covered some miles and I'm sure your inbox has been overflowing with uh, partner requests, both coming and going. Two titles in there as well with back-to-backs. How do you reflect on it? And maybe you'll need the fullness of time to sort of think how you feel about the year and what you take out of it and what you want to use it to achieve. But what, what is your immediate reaction? Yeah, I mean, a reaction, I'm really proud of myself for this year. I think it was really tough. I've played 33 tournaments, which is insane. A lot of tennis, a lot of travel, a lot of different partners, which has been really tough, a really tough part of the year, is just not having had that consistency with a partner. But I'm proud of how I've been able to compete each week. It's really hard playing with someone different. And I think I can definitely say this has been my best year on tour, just from that standpoint of that, I've competed, I feel, really consistently week in, week out. There haven't been many weeks where it's been a huge low with my level. I feel like my level's been quite consistent week in, week out. And uh, I need to do the stats. I haven't yet, but I've lost to the winner a lot this year of a tournament. So I think for me, that's a good takeaway and just that I know my level's there. I know where I can be. And it's, it's tough right now finishing the year where, you know, I had a career high just last month and it's now dropped you know considerably um to where i won't probably be in contention for any uh wildcard opportunities through the summer potentially so it's it's a tough uh pill to swallow coming home early but i just feel like it was the right one and we'll see if you know that pays off in the long run but uh overall i am happy with how i've you know dealt with the year and played and competed and you know, some of my scheduling probably could have been a little different. I probably could have had a few more weeks off potentially. But yeah, that's just something I have to kind of deal with and take into next year when I look down, you know, sit down with my coach and mentor and and figure out how to schedule uh, my year out. But at the end of the year, I was actually meant to be back in America three weeks earlier and I got asked to play three WTAs in a row. And for me, that was a risk that, it was kind of a no-brainer. Like I, It was tough because I knew I needed time. I felt that I needed time off, but I knew that I had points to defend in October, and I thought that playing these WTAs would be a great opportunity that I couldn't pass up. So that was something tough that I'm dealing with now um, because maybe taking one of those weeks off could have been beneficial for me to then compete and uh, be fresher for those October points to defend in while in America. And I ended up taking three weeks off in October when I had three weeks to defend. And then and there, I knew that it was it was going to be tough in the back end of October and November to try and get those points back. But, you know, it didn't happen. And that's something I have to deal with now uh, coming into the summer of tennis. But, yeah, just lessons learned to tough, tough lessons. But overall for the year, I'm really proud of myself and happy that I've been able to play you know, a lot of WTAs, which was my goal. And, um, you know, I was meant to play some WTAs right now in South America. And we can talk about it later because I know we're going to bring up our talk with Nez Ibu, uh, who's from Algeria. But 
I ran into my first visa problem uh, just ah. at the end of this year. I, I was meant to play in Chile and I got in online with my partner and she's the one I won Segovia, the 25 with earlier in June and love playing with her great energy on court felt really good about being in South America and just good opportunity to play those 125s at the end of the year. And we got in and I'm looking at the fact sheet and I need a visa. And I was like, there's no way an Australian needs a visa. I've, I've never run into this issue anywhere. And I'm calling the embassy. I'm calling the WTA. I'm really trying to figure out and online initially was you have to go in person to an embassy. And I'm in the middle of Midland, Michigan, which is just the middle of nowhere, uh, four hours from Chicago. And I'm like, maybe I can fly or drive into Chicago and, and try and do the visa. And eventually they said, no, you'll be fine. You can do it online. But then I needed a criminal check from the Australian government, which wasn't going to come back in time. And there was all these moving parts that I needed for this visa. And I was, you know, one by one, I'm like applying them and, and sending them through to this woman at the consulate and talking with the WTA and the tournament and eventually it just it wasn't going to come in time so that's where my decision changed to then maybe play Mexico and um not come home but then obviously now I'm home so yeah bit of a weird end to the year but um lots of lessons learned but a good year overall I'm I'm happy far out that is ridiculous I suppose what I was sort of thinking when you were saying that is like one of my biggest uh variables that I have during my day-to-day work life is probably whether I remember to touch on my mic here. And that is like as bad as my administrative burden really gets. Um, so to be dealing with with embassies, police checks uh, in different time zones, continents, subcontinents, the like, that is, um, that's tough stuff I can imagine. So congrats on a good year. Congrats on being able to look back on it so fondly. And um, yeah, good for you. Good for you. Thanks. Um, now let's jump into the Aussie Pro Tour. So this time of year and we wish it was for longer and we wish there was more of it in um, the summer months. But at this time of year, the ITF and uh, Challenger Tour comes to Australia. So we just had the New South Wales Open in Sydney. Taro Daniel, uh, a good friend of soon-to-be-retired John Millman, took out the men's title, defeating Mark Polmans in the final. And last month's guest, Destiny Ayava, continued on her good form and took out the singles and doubles, which was a W60 event for the women. Um, so enormous win for Destiny and Taro back in the winner's circle as well after I think it was five years. Um, a surprised semi-finalist I noticed as well was a young woman called Maya Joint, who, as I understand it, Alex is a, she's 17. Uh, she's recently crossed um, her allegiances from the US and she's now a, a proud Aussie. And she made it all the way to the semi final while still a junior, defeating some pretty well known names, Jamie Force and Priscilla Hon, uh, with a bit of ease, it must be said, on roof, and then took Destiny to three sets. So Maya's name was one that jumped out at me and is certainly a name that we're going to have to think about moving forward because that is a hell of an effort. And um, yeah, I know she played today up in Brisbane and had a win over a, another young. Aussie too. So she's going to be hanging around for a bit, but that was certainly a surprise. Um, in Brisbane now at the moment, we've got the M25 and the W60 event. And so Olivia Gadecki was the one seed in the women's, was the only woman ranked under 200 uh, at 128 at the moment. And so a real opportunity for Olivia to stake her claim for AO. However, she fell short in the first round against a woman called Joanna Garland, who I think you've played earlier this year too. And in the men's, we had Cruz Hewitt in the first, made the final round of qualies, which is always a name of interest, particularly to the casual tennis fan. 
and uh, Goncalo Oliveira was the number one seed. Uh, Portuguese fella, nearly 90 wins to his name this year. Nine ITF titles. So he is the second, Alex, behind that uh, Swedish fella that we discussed at length about the merit of playing 25K men's events all year. But um, Goncalo here has made it to 233 in the rankings and will be within the AO Qualies cutoff. So power to him. But um, a lot to digest just there. But uh, maybe if we start with Olivia Gadecki's first round opponent, Joanna Garland out of uh, Chinese Taipei. What do you remember of Joanna's game? And um, does that result surprise you at all? Joanna's a tough opponent. She's good. She's really cool off court. Um, really tough competitor. Uh, she's good on grass too. She loves loves a slice. She's creative on court. Solid game. Um, I don't know. I love Liz's game though. I love playing doubles with her I think she's great um I would have thought Liv would get that W there um so yeah unfortunately I didn't get to see any of the match or haven't spoken to Liv in a little bit about how she's going on court um but I think she has a great game and I think she's still going to be great going into the summer and um hopefully you know next week in the Gold Coast she can have a, a good week and um just have good prep for for the Aussie summer but yeah Joanna um Hits a big ball, but not as big as Gadecki, you know. So, um, I mean, Liv serves huge. Her, her strike, I mean, I just love watching Liv play. She's great, great striker of the ball, and she's creative and smart. Loves coming, you know, love watching her coming to the net, especially on the grass. She does that a lot. Um, I'm just picturing because I knew both of them on the, in the grass season watching them a lot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it'll be fun. Joanna loves playing on hard court, loves being in Australia too. I know she plays here, played here before in the past, so she's a good player. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, it must be such a challenge to be able to finish the year off strong. I mean, like the year goes for so long. And then when you do come home, I can only imagine that it is difficult to come home, be so close to home, but stay switched on. Yeah, absolutely. Especially her being so close to home in the same state. I think it, it's fun because maybe she has family and stuff being able to come and watch. But I remember last year staying, you know, at home. It's it's a different environment being in at home and staying in your house sometimes rather than in a hotel or Airbnb and being away. It's kind of this switch on switch off mentality. And I feel like when you're home, you want to switch off, <laughs> especially because we don't come home very often to Australia to play. It, it's a different, especially in the same city that you live in. I think it's really actually tough. Um, you know, last year I, I played doubles as the last tournament in Sydney and um, did well there. It was fun having my friends and family come and watch, which I think got me through the week. But it is weird waking up in your own bed and then going to play a tournament in the same city. It's a weird feeling. Yeah, sure. And like, I mean, that might sound silly to the casual fan, but, you know, for 10 months of the year, you're doing one thing. And then for one week, you start doing another. That's got to throw things off a little bit. Um, a couple of other results that are sort of of note. Maya Joint, who we just spoke of, de defeated Melissa Urkan, who was a highly rated TA athlete, uh, four and five. Testing Ava took on Maddie Inglis for, they must have shared the court for 15 hours, this Aussie Pro Tour, no, 20. This Aussie Pro Tour uh, swing, they played a lot of doubles together and they keep running into each other. Um, I think Destiny might have had uh, the better of those results, uh, at least in the last couple. So I'm sure they're sick of seeing each other. Although in saying that, um, they're about one match off pairing up in the uh, on court 14 out there. So those two are going to get to know each other pretty bloody well. Um, the men as well, that tournament isn't as far progressed at the moment, but the usual names are sort of their school Kate, fan cut, Ajit Ride and New Zealand, New Zealander, they're all there. So 
a lot on the line for them all. And one more week for everyone at the Gold Coast next week before uh, we start thinking about the big thing, which is wild cards. So talking about wild cards, the reason I think there's a fascination with these from pundits, players, fans alike, is that wild cards are the only example I can think of in tennis where we talk about discretion and we talk about merit, although it's all subjective. And so most other things in tennis are governed by wins, losses, and you'll get a seed, a seeding if you win more and you won't if you don't. Um, and you'll get into tournaments if you win more and you won't if you don't. But wild cards are where decision makers get to have a bit of, um, have a discussion and kind of make their own choices. And we get to critique that rightly or wrongly. And um, sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong. I remember thinking that Kubler and Hijikata might not be an amazing doubles pair, but they won the Aussie Open. So shows me what I know. But some interesting mail that we have on wildcards at the moment. So they've recently been, and in the last couple of years, become a more public fascination within uh, the, the casual tennis observing community. And there's been some discussion around whether each decision has been right or wrong and whether one player deserved it more than the other and all that sort of thing. But there's no decisions been made yet, so there's no point going into that too much further. But what we do know is that for the main draw of the Australian Open, the men's and the women's, we have eight wildcards each year. Three of those for the men's and women's main draw singles, three of those are promised off elsewhere. So one goes to the French Tennis Association, one goes to the USTA, one goes to the winner of an Asia-Pacific playoff because the um, Australian Open is the Grand Slam of the Asia-Pacific. And what that leaves is five fully discretionary wildcards to go where they please. So last year, those five discretionary wildcards went to Venus Williams, who later withdrew in the women's. Uh, so she withdrew before playing and that was then reallocated, I think, to Kim Birrell. Talia Gibson, young Aussie who's now about 300, she is 18 years old at the moment. And so at the time, that was a bit of a shock selection. Um, Jamie Fawless was also a recipient last year, as was Storm Hunter and Olivia Gadecki. In the men's, the recipients were Jason Kubler, it was pretty uncontroversial, Alexi Popperin, again uncontroversial, John Millman, Rinky Hijikata and Dominic Team. That all sort of explains itself. So last year, the strategy that Tennis Australia went with was one sort of commercial superstar who needed the wildcard to get in. So Venus and Dominic Team, and then four Aussies. What is interesting this year is there may not be a change of strategy at all, but there is at least some more for TA to consider. So in the women's, with our five discretionary wildcards, there are a number of Aussie women that are on the precipice. And so they are Kim Birrell, who's ranked at 110, who could go up if she has a good week at Gold Coast next week. Astra Sharma at 122, Olivia Gadecki at 132, Irina Rodionova 133, Storm Hunter 170, Destiny Ayava 186, Jamie Fawless and Daria Saville at 203 and 204, Priscilla Hons at 208, and down the list a little bit is Taylor Preston at 247, who is very highly rated, 18-year-old. Uh, the interesting point here is that Tennis Australia, I believe, have received requests from international superstars and former champions alike, Carolina Wozniacki, Naomi Osaka, Venus Williams, Angelique Kerber, and Emma Raducanu. So what that means is we have a large collection of players that can only go into five spots. A lot for TA to consider. We don't necessarily know what way they're going to go. However, what we do know is Craig Tiley talked up the 
the prospects of these returning champions playing at the Australian Open in the AO launch press conference. So we think they might be there. How they get there is another thing. There might be protected rankings on offer, but there's a lot to consider. Ali, what do you make of all that? Yeah, there's a lot of really awesome names there that are in the mix for these opportunities. And it's tough because you want those players playing in slams. They're obviously, you know, I think two coming back from uh, pregnancy. Emma has been injured. You know, they all deserve and you know a spot to be able to play. But then, if that's going to take away opportunities from Australian players to not get a wild card into our own home Grand Slam, it'd be disappointing. So, it's going to be interesting to see how the Grand Slam committee comes together to figure out who gets those wild card spots, especially the ones that aren't on the Australian side. And how many they'll give, because if they give three or two or four, depends on then how many is left for the Australian girls. So I I don't envy the people that are in charge of that decision, because I think either way, it's going to cause some sort of controversy online and um, amongst players. But yeah, really, really tough decision. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. 100%. And part of the difficulty that comes in, and we'll discuss the men's in a moment, but the men's and women's games in this respect are polar opposites. So in the men, you've got eight men currently safely inside the top 100 who will play the Open if fit. You can add Nick Kyrgios in there if you're feeling ambitious because he has a protected ranking. The issue with the women at this current point in time is that our best player, Isla Tomjanovic, uh, her ranking sits miles away, but she probably has a protected ranking that will get her in. We're not entirely sure because it's not I don't believe it's published who has a protected ranking what that protected ranking is and how many tournaments they have left to use it there's rules and regulations around it but we would assume quite safely that you will see Isla at the AO whether she needs a wild card or can use her protected ranking isn't something I know off the top of my head but I would assume her protected ranking will get her there given she did play the US as well what then happens is you have one woman flying the flag in the main draw And then you have a number of others who are on the precipice but aren't quite there yet. So even if Kim wins Gold Coast, she is likely to be right on the cutoff line, as I I read it at the moment, which means that with a bit of luck and some injuries going one way, she'll get in. And with a bit of bad luck and and a lack of injuries or lack of withdrawals, she would be relying on a wild card to play main draw unless she was to succeed through qualies. Last year for the women's in particular, those recipients that received a wild card, so Fawless, Hunter, Gadecki, and the name eludes me now, but it was Talia Gibson, that's right. That signaled something of a changing of the guard from those recipients we had seen in previous years and so in previous years there'd been other women who'd received a lot of opportunities that who you might have thought would have got a wild card last year but didn't and so to me that signaled that tennis australia are kind of going to go well you know these good opportunities can't last forever they deserve to be shared around therefore you know we, we might turn to youth and so i suspect that part of the decision making process won't just be who has the nearest ranking there will be from the Australian perspective who, who the young up-and-comers are because you won't find out what these girls are made of until you put them in, this, in the arena. And so I think that that'll be a big part of it. And I think that Tennis Australia rightly will consider the commercial benefit of, you know, bringing in Naomi Osaka because that will increase the US and the Japanese markets uh, audience. Venus, I have less faith, will be considered as strongly as the others, but half of the press room at Melbourne Park is there to see Emma Raducanu. So... She will be strongly considered one way or another. And Wozniacki and Kerber are Haas champions. TA has obviously got an obligation to make sure this event is as strong as it can be. And 
bringing these players in would help that. How many of them they bring in, who knows? Very interesting. So I don't quite know what to make of it. Probably can't necessarily say what sort who you'd like to see there, Alex. But is there a strategy you'd like to see unfolded, or um, is there is there a way you would handle this? I'd love to see. I mean, I know we used to have the wildcard playoffs, and I'd love oh, to see that come yes. back. I think it's tough for those players when there's no criteria. And I think enabling there to be some sort of criteria throughout the year or benchmarks for players to hit would really help players give them some sort of direction maybe as to how they should go about preparing for the summer. And that would help with their scheduling and preseason and things like that. And I think, um, yeah, again, like the playoffs, I think would be a great opportunity for players to be able to get a position where you know, it just ha- it creates a, a fight for players to to know that they can work towards something and get it. And I think some players can maybe be in the dark when there's no um, light at the end of the tunnel to know if they do X, Y, and Z, if they'll get it or not, because there is no criteria as such that I don't believe that I, I haven't seen a criteria. So I think that would be cool to see in the future for players. Obviously, right now, there's a lot of other players in the mix that aren't Australian that are huge names. So... I think this is a tough, it's a tough one. I, I don't know if we've had this in the past where there's been that many names on the line. Um, it's tough because you don't want to take away from the Aussies because I want to see Aussies in main draw. You know, I don't want to see people from other countries, but they're, they're big names and the commercial value and benefit of that is huge for a Grand Slam nation um, and tournament. And we want to host the best tournament in the world. So if that means the biggest names, then that may have to be the case. But again, I mean, I want Aussies on the stage. I want Aussies there in main draw. I suspect we'll see a sprinkling of both. In an ideal world, all those five stars would be there, Venus included. And in an ideal world, as many Aussies would be there as possible. Good luck to those making the decision because I'm sure it'll be a case of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Personally, I would love to see uh, those Aussies right on the edge of that 100 get in. I think Olivia Gadecki in particular is a name that probably deserves a push in the right direction because she's a huge talent and really young and looks like she has a massive game. I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like a Preston uh, get in because I think she was injured last year um, and so didn't quite make the cutoff. But anyway, look, that's, that'll um, that'll unfold and I don't envy those decision makers. Now in the men, slightly less going on. And so we've got the eight Aussie men in the top 100. And then on the back of that, we have Kubler at 101, who I don't believe is playing again for the rest of the year. Duckworth at 109, who's trending upwards and is playing. Polman's at 163. Adam Walton at 179. Then there's a bit of a gap. We've got Lee Two, Schoolkate, Dane Sweeney, James McCade, Phil Sekulic, all within about 30 ranking spots, 245 to 270 odd. Um, so I, I, I would suspect, uh, they will all be strongly considered and there'll be a couple who have to go through qualifying and for someone like a, someone who's sitting around the two seventies, so say Phil Sekulic, if he doesn't get a major wildcard, he may in fact need one as well for qualifying just to get inside that cutoff line. But there's not as much to consider there. There is also the intriguing case of Rafa Nadal. So Rafa will need a protected ranking on occasion when he comes back for 2024, based depending on what he does, which isn't certain. Um, it, it was suggested he might be playing at the Open, but he poured a little bit of cold water on that. If he is coming back, he will need a protected ranking on occasion, but that won't last him the whole year. So then he will need wild cards. So He's someone that they'll have to consider. Nick won't need one. He's got a protected ranking of 21. He's been pretty good at posting that on Twitter to keep us informed. 
Um, John Millman received a wild card last year. And at the time, I thought that was a little bit surprising. But given this year he's retiring, he may in fact receive one again. Um, and that's probably it for the men, the main considerations. Um, there might be some in- interesting decisions based on who gets the qualifying wild cards for the men's. Oftentimes what you'll see is, and what we saw last year was those just missing the qualifying cutoff. You know, the first six names that missed, they all got a wild card for qualifying. And then the two or three spots that they have remaining will go to the 17 or 18 year old kids that TA have high hopes on. And so that might be someone like a Charlie Camus, who's 17. Don't hold me to that, but he's been orange boy for the Davis cup ties before. And so they obviously rate him quite highly, uh, slightly less to for us to consider sort of here, Alex, but I suspect um, if they don't need to give Rafa one, it'll be a pretty uncontroversial throw as many Aussies in as possible. Again, they'll only have five wildcards to choose from, but I don't see this one being too um, too on the nose. We won't talk about the doubles wildcards because they're a little more unpredictable. And I think that there's a little bit more subjectivity around that. And so that's really a bit of a guessing game. The only thing I will say is you can probably lock John Millman in for one. When Sam Groth was retiring in Millman's position, he was given one. They're both affectionately loved by the crowds. And if we get to see him, you know, put a bit of a run together, I think that'll be pretty fantastic. Now, we've got a few minutes left. Let's talk about players to watch in 2024. Alex, is there anyone that's jumped out at you that may or may not, well, I hope may, be a player to watch uh, in the in the upcoming season? I've just seen a, um, quite a bit posted on the ITF pages about Emerson Jones, the young Australian girl. And um, I got to speak to Louise Plumbing today, who's travelled with her to the junior Fed Cup team with her a year or two ago. And she said she's a great young girl, really lovely, good intensity on court, um, She's been working with Dave Taylor on court, um, working on, I guess, being more solid, adding more shape to her game, but I think quite a promising game, smaller build. But um, I've just heard kind of, you know, she's one of the young Aussie girls to watch out for right now coming up in the ranks and obviously may get opportunities in some tournaments maybe in the summer and um, through through next year, hopefully. I'm sure she'll be playing more ITF, maybe women's events as well by the sounds of it. So a good Aussie young junior to look out for, for sure. And uh, Maya Joint, actually, the Australian girl who has just changed citizenship, is going to UT, so going to college. So, um, and, you know, another girl going the college route, which is really interesting, seeing that as a young Aussie, um, who, again, she may be getting opportunities considering her results these past few weeks in Australia. Those are two young Aussie girls that I would say are definitely uh, ones to watch out for. 100%. 100%. And I suspect that uh, if Maya is going to college, she might not be there too long if she keeps heading in the trajectory that uh, that she is. I think she's already up to 700-odd in the ranks. A win today at the W60, she pulls a couple of more of those together. Um, she'll be at college for all of six minutes. I think that a couple of uh, Americans to watch that jumped out at me for next year. So Alex Mickelson, this is an American kid following 12 months behind in the footsteps of Ben Shelton. He's come through come through as a junior, I went to college briefly, and he's now made the next-gen finals, which are in Saudi Arabia. Um, bit of a who cares event for me, that one. But he has also won enough points in the challenges that if his ranking were lower, he would be the recipient of the men's main draw wildcard for the AO, but he won't need those because his ranking's doing so well. Um, so watch out for him. He's in about 90 in the ranks now. Kid's a star. And then Lerner team, lefty American, played at Uni of Southern California before turning pro for six months, uh, two-time junior slam runner-up in 2023. I believe it was Wimbledon and the Australian Open, he was runners-up runners um, and he's just picked up his third M15 title. So, look, he he's certainly 
on the right path. Now, Alex, we are entering our final few minutes of the grind for 2024. Uh, if we quickly think back and think about who we saw this year or who we spoke to this year, is there anything you saw that jumped out at you and a guest that you enjoyed speaking to the most? They were all so amazing. And just quickly, thanks to everyone that did come on this year, I think. It was great just learning so much and getting to chat with so many amazing players on tour right now and um, getting to hear their stories and experiences was just great and and um, really fun, really enjoyable. I love talking to Inez, just the adversities that she's faced on tour from such a young age was just eye-opening and incredible at how she's dealt with those and how she's still playing on tour and really so positive. Also, Courtney Locke, a lot of similarities with going to college and just hearing his story about being from another, an African nation and, and his uh, connection to the Blacks. Uh, I, I know Kara well, so that was great um, and fun to hear about. Yeah, absolutely. I thought um, Courtney's Serving the Nation doco has now come out um, in the first 10 minutes or so. He talks about his love for a backwards hat wearing Austra- Australian by the name of Leighton Hewitt, which as a bloke about the same age as him, uh, that resonated with me a fair bit. I also loved, in particular, talking to Destiny last month, uh, Destiny Ayaba, who told us she plays like it's life or death. And at the moment, it's been all life. Her ranking is humming in the right direction and will certainly be um, one for TA to consider over the summer. And I think that all things going well, she will have a red hot 2024. I also did enjoy at the start of the year talking to uh, Mark Woodford, who was on the ITF panel. Um, If you haven't listened to that, go back and have a look. Part of the joy of talking to Mark is you don't do a lot of talking, you do a lot of listening. He's a a man with a a great mouth and he just goes and goes and goes and tells you story after story and I thoroughly enjoyed hearing about his career how he came from Adelaide all the way up into the big time and then when he had the opportunity after it was all said and done to give back to the Adelaide tennis community he did that as well so look echoing Ali's thoughts thank you to everyone it's been a hell of a lot of fun have a great summer everyone listeners thanks for tuning in see you next year see you in 2024 the first serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au log on to find out all the details of our live radio show other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and subscribe to our YouTube channel.